This Bible study podcast is a presentation of Sunset Presbyterian Church. For more information, log on to our website at www.sunsetpres.org. It's lovely to see you, as always. I know I'm hoping everyone is feeling somewhat rested, and even though Thanksgiving's a busy holiday, um, I'm hoping that it was a blessed time with family and with friends and um, just having that time of gratitude with one another. Um, I know Thanksgiving's one of my favorite times of year. Um, I worked retail for a lot of years, so Christmas for me, I always kind of pick up on all the commercialism, and it's all about gifts, and sometimes I feel like Christ gets lost in that, and Easter is a favorite of mine, except sometimes there's all those little bunnies and Easter eggs, and so I feel like Thanksgiving's just one of those times that our whole country, our whole society, believers, non-believers, actually kind of just focus on what we're grateful for, um, what we're thankful for all we have, thankful for the people in our lives. And so I just think it's one of those times that we're somewhat united in that. And in this day and time, and with all that's going on, unity isn't something that we're seeing a lot of here and there. So going through the study this week and spending time in the scripture that we had for this week, um, it being all about unexplainable unity just warmed my heart. I just feel like it timed well with the season that we're in. Um, From the beginning, unity has just been part of God's God's plan. It's what he, he created us to have relationship with him, to be one with him. Sin entered in and separated us from God, but God in all his mercy and his grace, he sent Jesus, who once again just brought that unity back, in, back into play for us. He reconciled us with, with God, and so at least there was that bridge again. And so... For our story this morning, that is where we will take off to. In the book of Acts, we find the Jews and the Gentiles. They're separated. They're worshiping different gods. They have different traditions. They have different ways of life. Very little interaction between the two groups of people. And these things are steeped just generation after generation. This is how it's always been. So... For there to be, for these two groups of people to come together, it was going to be nothing short of God and all of his power and all of his might. Um, It's interesting to see that through time, God keeps working towards that. And so having these still two separate groups of people, yet a new beginning, um, it's just interesting to see how he brings us all to place. So with that, I will pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this room full of women. These women are your children. They're your daughters. They have a heart for you, and they want to serve you and do your will. And I just pray that you help us to hear your words. I pray that whatever it is you want to say to us this morning, that I just depend on your words to come through. And I just thank you for open hearts and open minds, and just, again, for your love to come shining through the message this morning. In your name, amen. 
So in Acts 1, I'll kind of go back a little bit. Um, Jesus tells the apostles, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So, so far, we've seen that. The the Acts, the apostles were blessed with the Holy Spirit. It came upon them. We've seen them preaching boldly. We've seen them doing miraculous acts um, in all of Jerusalem. We then, Alyssa took us to the journey of Philip, and he sets out to Samaria and beyond, and again, is preaching the gospel. He's sharing the word, and the results are just an increase. Even more people come to believe in Christ. The, what's neat about that is that was kind of the first signs that we saw of the Gentiles being brought into the fold of unity with Christ. So first sign of the two peoples coming together. Peter's been the main focus so far. So it's been a lot about what he's been doing, what he's been up to. He's been our main um, focus. He has indeed become the rock of the church that that Jesus proclaimed him to be. He's speaking boldly, even doing so under persecution. He didn't back down when they were imprisoned. And he just keeps keep strong. His faith is strong. We're seeing him do amazing things. He does travel outside of Jerusalem. He follows Philip's. He lays hands on the new believers in Samaria. And so even Peter is going out and beyond Jerusalem. His journey's not over. God isn't finished with him yet. In this middle section of Acts, we find this blending of Peter and Saul. So One thing that the first thing I noticed when I was going through the scripture for this week is we have this miraculous thing with Saul happening, and then we switch back to Peter. And it was like, what's going Like, how can I focus? And so, what I kind of came to realize up through kind of Acts 13 is there's still going to be this blending of the two. It's God showing how to very different people um, with very different gifts, um, very different backgrounds their brokenness each of them has, but he's using both of them in very different ways to, again, just bridge that gap and bring the body of believers into into one body. So um, two plot lines, but one mission, and that mission is just unity with, with one another through Christ. So with Saul, or Paul, we have this fun thing going on. Um, It wasn't a matter of Saul wasn't renamed. Um, Saul is the Hebrew name and Paul is the Gentile name or the Greek. So what was interesting is Saul in Hebrew means asked for or inquired of God. And so if we think about where we're going to journey with the passage this week, um, God does call on him. And Paul in Greek means little or small. And so it kind of made me wonder He took the Greek name because he's going and speaking with the Gentiles, but was there something more behind that? We see later on in all of Paul's epistles, he's very humble. He's an amazing example of that. And so I'm wondering if there was some kind of tie-in just um, with him adopting and taking on um, the name of Paul. That transition happens in Acts 13 um, when he sets out on his first mission. 
So um, that's where that transition takes place. But Paul, he was born in Tarsus around 2 AD, um, always with timelines and history of that age. There's a few little years of fluctuation between timelines there, but um, that was about when he was born. So he was born to an Israelite family, tribe of Benjamin. He was circumcised on the eighth day, as was the law. About 12 to 15 AD, he went to Jerusalem. His family sent him there to go to school. So he was taught by Gamal, oh, this name, Gamaliel, <laughs> um, who we encountered earlier. So Gamaliel was a Pharisee, and he was a teacher of the law. He was highly honored, um, and he was the one that um, talked the Sanhedrin out of killing John and Peter when they were arrested. So that's how that's tying in. So that's who, Pete, that's who Saul learned from. Um, Saul was zealous for God. He, he wanted to follow the law. He wanted to do God's will. And I, I feel like God saw that. And even though Saul goes on one track that isn't, he had the knowledge of God, but not the heart of God. Um, God knew that he could use his zeal and his desire to follow what the law was um, for good. So when we left when we last left Saul, it was at Stephen's martyrdom. Because of Saul's education and his position, he must have been there. He very likely heard Stephen's speech. Um, I'm curious, Saul is such an eloquent when we read his letters. Um, his words and his prayers are amazing. And I'm wondering, having heard Stephen's speech, how that made him feel. Stephen didn't have the education that Saul had, yet spoke so eloquently, knew the laws. And so I'm curious, just I wondered, how did Saul feel hearing what Stephen had to say and hearing him quote scripture so eloquently? Was he threatened? Um, did he hear Stephen's final words of, I see heaven open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. Did Saul hear that? Or was he caught up in the stoning that was going on? Did he hear Stephen ask the Lord not to hold the sin of his death against his killers? Because the part that Saul had in that was at play. And so how, again, Stephen asking for forgiveness of those that were in the process of killing him. I'm just curious how that could have hit Saul and how that made him feel. Um, So Saul was the one that the men laid their coats at. He was about 30 years old at that time. And in Acts 7.60, Luke tells us that Saul approved of Stephen's killing. He thought he approved of it. He was behind it. He thought it was warranted. And again, if he feels that Stephen is teaching an untruth and pulling people away from God, that could have been how some of that was justified. So Paul then sets out on a mission. He is going to destroy anyone who is following this way, the way, anyone who's following this new line of teaching. He is just out to stop it dead in its tracks. Scripture tells us that in Jerusalem, he's going house to house, dragging off both men and women and putting them into prison. Saul then hears how the gospel was being spread to the north. So Philip, you can pull the map up if you want, Karen. 
Um, so Philip is working. He's going up to Samaria, Samaria um, spreading the news up there. And in doing so, um, Saul is then seeing, oh my gosh, it's now being spread outside of Jerusalem and it's working its way to kind of further areas. And so Saul obtains letters from the high priests to go and imprison anyone that he can find that is belonging to this new, this new um, preaching. So ironically, though, as Saul heads north, God instructs Philip to go down the desert road, basically out into Timbuktu, like Alyssa shared with us. And this is where he meets the Ethiopian. So now the gospel is starting to be spread south, whereas Saul is only focused on what was happening to the north. So Saul sets out that way. Meanwhile, Philip is working his way down south, and then God keeps him on the coastline. So these things are all kind of happen simultaneously. So again, it's just cool to totally different people. God's using all of their, he's using God's zeal. He's using Philip's skills of spreading the gospel and it's working. It's, it's coming together into one plan. Um, without Philip being obedient and following what God's asking him to do, he may have been in harm's way. So it's kind of another one of our examples of just that obedience, that blind obedience to God and going where he calls us to go. So um, as Saul is working his way up to Damascus, this is where he encounters Jesus. And I'll actually read from the scripture here. So there's three accounts of Saul's conversion. One of them, of course, is in Acts 9, which that's the one, um, I went back and forth, but that's the one I'll read from this morning. But it's fun to explore. So in Acts 22 um, and Acts 26, there's two other accounts of Saul's conversion, and it's actually told by Paul. So one time um, he's speaking um, in front of one of the Roman commanders when he's, getting, when he's been arrested, and then the other time is in Rome to King Agrippa. So there's different details, of course, in when Paul tells it, whereas our account in Acts 9 is Luke telling the story. And I had to remind myself and go back and look that Luke traveled with Paul. So he was on part of those missions with Paul. So he spent time with him. He had to have heard these stories. Um, I'm sure he got way more details than he gives us, which always frustrates me. And I find myself, oh, I can't wait to get there and ask. Um, But we're given enough that um, it makes the encounter real for us. So in Acts 9, um, verse 3, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. In verse 6, now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him to Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. 
And I'm going to pause there. So from the other accounts, we're told it was about noon. So it was literally middle of the day. Um, In Acts 22, in the account there, um, Paul shares that he actually says, "I." when Jesus replies, he says, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. So again, he's just being very specific about who he is exactly. Um, part of what I loved in the Acts 26 um, version was um, Paul describes it in the way that, so it was about noon and I was on a road. I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic. So it tells us what language Jesus was speaking to Paul in. So just looking at that part of the scripture, again, lots of questions came to mind. Um, why did his companions, how could they not, why did they not hear him? What was Jesus' purpose in that? Um, was it just a message for Saul? He was specifically speaking to him. He was getting his attention for sure. His appearance as a light just reminded me we've seen that in other places in the Bible, one with Moses for sure. God doesn't show his full self. He just shows himself as, as a light. So again, just lots of parallels that come back from the Old Testament to the New Testament and tying the whole story all into one. The fact that the light, it left Saul blind, but not his companions. So I thought that was something to kind of take note of. Why did it blind Paul? Was it to the extent of, again, he was getting Saul's attention? Um, it was for him, seeing Jesus in, in that glory is, can be overwhelming, I'm thinking. Um, so him being blind also, what did that lead to in the next few days? Did that help him stay in prayer? And just stay connected and not be distracted by things around him. Um, Just all things that I found myself wondering about. From there, um, so in this encounter, Paul does several, Saul does several things. So he first, he acknowledges the voice speaking to him. And our study touched on that when he says, who are you, Lord? He's acknowledging this light as a divine being, but he doesn't yet know that it's Jesus. So he's acknowledging that it's something not of this world, but it's not a full acknowledgement of Jesus at that moment. Um, Once Jesus tells him, I am Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, Saul then asks, what shall I do, Lord? So with that, he is acknowledging, okay, you're Jesus. I'm acknowledging you. And then the next step is, what are you asking of me? And so when just thinking about those two examples, here's someone who is on one track persecuting those who are following Jesus. And at first acknowledgement that Jesus is who he says he is, Saul right away is, what do you want of me? And I just thought right there is an amazing obedience just right in that moment. So he's acknowledging that Jesus is who he says he is, and right away he's willing. What do you want of me? What shall I do? So just from the beginning of his conversion, he's already showing his obedience to Christ. 
he accepts the Lord and he obeys. And so I found myself wondering, do I obey that quickly? And I can honestly say no, not all the time. (laughs) Um, When we hear that call of Christ, um, fear, anxiety, our own plans get in the way. And so I just thought, here, our next kind of main character um, is already showing us that obedience. As we move through the scripture, we just keep getting more and more examples of that obedience. Um, Ananias is the next one to come into the picture. So in Acts 9, 10, um, it it goes back to, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. And again, this mirrors so many stories from the Old Testament. God calling out to someone and then them answering, here I am, or yes, Lord. So right away, Ananias is acknowledging God. And he's saying, yes, Lord, what's next? What are you asking of me? The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. So right then and there, I'm like, okay, Luke, I love you. I love how you tell stories. I love the messages you're sharing with us. But you leave out details sometimes. And here, he's giving us the street that Jesus is saying, go to this street. And I'm like, really? That's the detail you're going to give us? So then once I got out of my huff, um, I thought, okay, why? Why did Luke include that? Because he's obviously, he's very succinct in what he chooses to share and what he doesn't. And so, again, I thought back to, okay, Luke heard this from Saul. So, and possibly Ananias. I don't know. I wondered about that. But Jesus, God is making sure that Ananias goes exactly where he's supposed to go. He is making sure he has no excuses to go to the wrong house, to not get the right person, show up at the door, and then be like, oh, sorry, he's not here. Okay, my bad, I'm out. And then be like, sorry, God, couldn't find him. (laughs) Because, of course, Jesus is telling him to go to someone that is persecuting them, that is throwing them in prison. I wouldn't want to go to prison, and I don't know anything about it. But I can't imagine that Ananias was really excited about going to find this person that's throwing them all in jail. So Jesus is just making sure that he knows exactly where he's supposed to be going. There's no excuses. So our Lord knows us well enough (laughs) to know that we're going to maybe rebuke a little bit and argue a little bit. Um, So he takes those excuses away. So it continues on, and Ananias does this just a little bit. In verse 13, Lord Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. So he's saying it out loud. He's like, are you sure? <laughs> and again, I thought of Moses. I thought of, there's again, other examples of just that. But do you really want me to do this? <laughs> so while Ananias is obedient in the end, he is human. And it's something we can all relate to in that. But Jesus, or God says, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. 
Verse 16, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So Ananias went to the house and he entered it. He places his hands on Saul and he says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So not only does Ananias go and he obeys despite his fear and concerns, which are completely valid, but he goes with a completely willing and open heart. He goes to Saul who's throwing his fellow brothers in Christ in prison, and he says he calls him by name brother. That's huge. Um, To not only obey, but to obey with an open heart, um, that's such a great example for us and something I can say, I'm not always again. I might obey, but I do so a little bit begrudgingly. When there's several times I can think of, there was a nudging on the last mission trip that I went on that um, we had many families. We had eight different families come to Christ on the last day that we were there. And it was such an amazing God-present and God-filled time that I just, I've never experienced anything like that. But there was a time midway in that, that one of, there was a couple and, um, they had just committed to getting married, which is huge for them. Oftentimes they have the family, they have those things, and don't get married until later. And so they had just, um, the soon-to-be husband had proposed, and they had agreed to get married. And when doing that, they wanted to acknowledge Christ as their Savior. And so um, the missionary asked if any of our team would like to pray the prayer of salvation with them. And I felt this little nudging in my stomach, that funny little thing that happens. And I'm like, mm, 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 there's a whole lot of people there. You are out of your mind. Nope, nope, nope. Somebody else will do it. Somebody else will do it. And I'm praying, somebody else will do it. Please, somebody else step up. And then not only did I have a funny little feeling in my stomach that God was telling me to do it, then one of my teammates who I love and cherish nudged me from behind. So I got a physical, you need to go do this. So I wasn't listening, so God worked through that person to get me to listen, and I literally, like, stepped back and, like, pushed back, like, "Uh uh-uh, nope, and then um, the missionary asked if one of, we had some of the high schoolers with us, and so he asked, how about any of you high schoolers, and he um, suggested one of the girls that had previously been on the trip. So she and I had both been there together. And I saw her, like, do the same thing. Like, oh, I know I should, but oh, I'm really scared. And it was, so God used her and that calling on her to get me to obey. Because I wanted that for her. And I wanted her to have that experience. I wanted her to obey that calling. So he put it on me, and I was like, nope. And, and he tried to work through somebody else, and I still resisted. And so God's, his will, his plan, it's going to happen. It, it's going to work. Whether we choose to follow what he's calling us to do for our part in it is up to us. And I, had I not stepped up, even though it took three times, like I would have missed out on that blessing. So I would have missed out on the blessing of 
saying that prayer with this family who is excited and now has a zeal for Christ. And I would have missed out on having that shared experience with her. So there's blessings even in the, in the unknown and what we're afraid of. He is taking care of us. He's not going to put us somewhere where he doesn't want us. So it's up to us to step up and to answer that call. So just one of the many times <laughs> that I've totally not listened, totally not obeyed, and would have missed out on something so beautiful. And so anytime I come across these things in Scripture, it's just solidifying that, yes, Lord, we answer him. What shall I do? What do you want from me? So with that... Um, It's amazing. From here, Paul goes on to preach. Um, He starts preaching in Damascus. He has to, of course, escape from Damascus because some of the people are like, hmm, I don't believe you. Like, how can this have happened? Like, this conversion is somewhat hard for for everyone to believe. He escapes from Damascus, goes to Jerusalem, and again, he enters into the fold of the disciples. They're even hesitant. So when someone has done wrong, it's hard to forgive. It's hard to show the grace that God shows us, but it's what we're called to do. It took Barnabas, our ever-encouraging Barnabas, who sold his property earlier in Acts. We see him, that he is following Christ. He has his faith firm in the foundation of Jesus, and it takes him to share with the disciples what he has seen Saul do, and that then allows Um, Saul to come into the fold of especially Peter and James. We learn in Galatians he gets to spend 15 days with them, which doesn't seem like a lot, but I'm thinking 15 days with Peter and James, Jesus's brother. Oh my gosh, like so want to have a conversation about what that was like. What was it like for Peter and James? What was it like for Saul having that time together? And again, part of unity Here is someone who is persecuting these exact people, and they're sitting together. They're sharing all of their experiences. I can't even imagine the stories that they shared with Saul, and it's bringing them into one. It strengthens them. It strengthens Saul. And then, of course, again, Saul has to leave because he's causing some unrest because I'm imagining the the others, um, the believers are coming back to Stephen and him being stoned, and Saul being there on that side of it, and now he's preaching Jesus, it had to have been hard. And again, that forgiveness and mercy just, it doesn't come quick for us. And so Saul has to exit. He goes into a time where he's learning, and he's just becoming stronger and stronger. There's peace and rest, and from all of that, there's more believers that come to be. So the, the number of believers just increases. Um, time here. So the scripture then takes us back to Peter, and there's amazing stories that are told. I think about Tabitha and what we hear of her story. She had to have been a person who showed her community Jesus' love through the clothes that she made, where there's people just in her room mourning day after day, not wanting to let her go. They seek out Peter. They have him come because they have faith 
and they love her so much that their faith then plays into part. Peter is there, and he remembers Jesus bringing people from the dead. He remembers almost an exact same story, and so his faith brings her back to life. So between, we've got Peter and Paul, but then we have what some would call the sub-characters. Barnabas encouraging, bridging the gap between Saul and the disciples. Ananias obeying, even down to Saul's companions on the road to Damascus. If they hadn't have been willing to take Saul into Damascus, I mean, think about it. Huge light, there's this noise I can't decipher. I don't know what happened. Now he's blind. I don't know that I want to hang out with this guy anymore. Like, it took faith to even be willing to take him back to Damascus. If he hadn't have gotten to Damascus, Ananias couldn't have played his part. Ananias couldn't have bridged the gap. Would Saul have even lived to tell about the conversion? So all of these sub-characters, it's you and I. It's everyday people following God's call, whether that's helping somebody out at the grocery store, whether it's picking up a piece of paper off the ground and putting it in the trash, and somebody sees you do that, and it's like, well, that's not normal. Like, why do they bother? It's all those little things that you and I do that, again, work towards the unity between us, between the body of Christ, and then between us and the non-believers. If, if we don't do our part for unity and for cohesion amongst us, what does that look like to those that are outside of our fold? So I think about the time that our church has been going through, the time that our world is in. Um, Unity doesn't seem to be a big thing that's happening. And so any little thing that you and I do, and that's answering that God's little call, that little tug in your tummy, saying, go talk to that person, or look that grocery clerk in the eye and smile and ask them how they are, It's those little things that just work for that unity. I think about, just in closing, as I look around the room, which I'm way more comfortable doing now, (laughs) I see women that I am connected to in so many different ways. And so you might sit here and look and think, oh, but I don't know that person or I know that face. I can't remember her name. And, well, I have my small group. I'm just going to stay in my comfort, little comfort area. But when I look out, I see those that I've served with, either on mission trips, in the high school group, present and past. If I hadn't had examples of how to love on these girls, in which I can remember Lisa was going to move, be moving on out of high school, and there was a call for her to stay, and she obeyed. And it gave the rest of us more time with her and to see her work with the students, and it just gave me that example of how to do that better. I see my mentor teacher is in the room, for goodness sakes. In, what, 2004, I was finishing my teaching degree and had this amazing mentor teacher who just loved on me and encouraged me and gave me things to strengthen all of my teaching skills. And so she's here. And so with me being connected to her, I know her family. I know what amazing stories she has. She rides in with a friend that lives in the same area. So if we were to take a string and I connect myself just to the women and those of you that I know and love and have served with, and then if you connect it to those that you love and that you serve with, 
we're all one already, just under the banner of Christ. And so the more we can do to encourage one another to stay faithful, to stay obedient, and just to show God's love, the more that God's plan of unity will come into play. So with that, I will pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for for all these stories, for the big stories, the headline stories of Peter and Paul and all the works that they do, down to the stories of Ananias and Tabitha and just the small, seemingly small roles that they play, yet those, those Peter and Pauls of the world could not do what they do for you without those of us obeying what you ask of us. And so I just pray that as we go to our small groups, just bless that time, continue to be present, continue to help us spur one another on and encourage one another, and just to grow deeper in our faith with you. I thank you for this time, and we say all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. I love that.